Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devi Kagirish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. Recently, I was at the Locarno Film Festival in Switzerland, where I participated in a fascinating experimental event called The Future of Attention, curated by Rafael Dernbach, a researcher at the Università della Svizzera Italiana. It was a continuous 24-hour live talk moderated by three hosts, including yours truly, and involving a new guest each hour. The event began at noon on August 10th and went on all the way to noon on August 11th. Attendees were invited to sit, lounge, or even sleep in the audience whenever they wished. The idea was not just to discuss the workings of attention in contemporary film and media culture, but also to actively experience and challenge the various ways in which we pay attention over a sustained period of time. Over the next couple weeks, we'll be sharing excerpts from my hosting shift at the event, which featured some really exciting guests, from filmmaker Helena Whitman to artist Hito Styrel to scholar Kevin Beely, among others. Today's episode features the Brazilian filmmaker Julia Murat, whose new film, Rule 34, won the Golden Leopard at Locarno. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, Julia. Hello. Hello, is it working? I think so, yeah, we can hear it. Okay. A great pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining us at 9 a.m. Uh, how are you? Tired. Yes. <laughs> no, but really, thank you very much for coming, for inviting me. I'm just a little bit confused because my film premiered yesterday and it was a very mixed feeling in the sense that it was too much and so I'm really exhausted. But yet, I did prepare something to talk. Of course. Uh, not, I mean, not, definitely not what I was I was willing to because I didn't have time and capacity. So please excuse me if it's not the best thing I could. But I did prepare something to do, so should I? Or yeah, of yeah? course. So, uh, so you wanted to uh, read out something? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's yeah. start with that. Uh, and be- before you do that, maybe just to start things off, sure. you could say briefly about who you are, what kind of work you make, you know, uh, a little bit about your film, Rule 34, okay. Okay, which is right. a very interesting film. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, my name is Julia Murat. Uh, I'm a Brazilian filmmaker. I work with cinema since ever. Uh, my mom is a filmmaker. Ever? <laughs> Since basically ever, yes. Uh-huh. My mom is a filmmaker. My first time in set, I was six years old. Uh-huh. Uh, after 16, I started really working on it. And I did design as college. But just because I didn't want to do cinema because I was already completely into it. Mm. And I wanted to bring something new. I wanted to bring like new experience and new thoughts. Uh, but yeah, then then I started working with cinema. My first film was Found Memories, Histórias que só existem quando lembradas. It premiered in Venice. And the second one was Pendular. The first one was in 2011. The second second one, 2017, Pendular, which was premiered in Berlinale, and now Rule 34, 
It just premiered yesterday, yes. And you want to just tell us briefly in a couple sentences about Rule 34? Sure. <laughs> I will try. <laughs> Thank you for the laugh. Uh, yeah, Rule 34 is a film about the public defender who have done sex sex work, not mm -hmm. sex work itself, uh, online sex work mm -hmm. uh, performances to be able to pay her studies. And then... Uh, and then she just became a public defender and she realized that she doesn't need it anymore. And then the film starts. The film starts when she doesn't need it anymore. And she's now dealing with the whole complexity and the whole contradiction of the public defender because public defender in Brazil, I mean, I think it's all worldwide, right? But mm -hmm. public defender in Brazil, it's something made for defend poor people. Right. Uh, who doesn't have money to pay for for attorneys uh, to defend themselves against the violence of the state? Right. So they basically riot by the state to defend poor people against the violence of the state, which yeah. is a contradiction itself. Or some might say the core of democracy. Yeah, you may say. Sure. Which, is a, which is a subject of debate in the film, of course. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, yeah, that's the debate of the film. She's a black woman that comes from the poverty and now is dealing with more privilege mm. or, or advantage, at least. Uh, so she now doesn't need anymore mm. the sex online performances, but she discovered that actually she has a desire on it, mm. and she go further with a friend of her who is provoking her and she go further and actually she discovered that she has a desire on violence mm. which is even more contradiction because she's a black woman with a body that has a historical violence um, because of the slavery mm. and the whole tradition in Brazil and worldwide, specifically in Brazil uh, the tradition that we have like using black uh, bodies, mm. yeah, especially yeah. women. So, so much to dig into uh, with respect to the film and all the questions you raised, but let's uh, start with your text now. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically, I, mean, I was trying to figure out what could I be able to talk about attention. Uh, I'm not academic at all, so I was a little bit afraid. Uh, I knew that it was not what you were expecting of me, but yet... No, uh, uh, <laughs> we have no expectation. This is, this is very open-ended, okay. so go ahead. So basically, I was reading the text in the colloquium, and I was wondering what we as artists should do in light of the change of the future of attention. And I was wondering what should our re reaction be with this abusing uh, attention economy? Mm. But I stopped to think, actually, if should we want to react? Uh, should we? It, 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 it is something that we were just talking just before. If we should actually do an active act action. Uh, I mean, of course, we are obviously influenced by the environment around us. And, but actually, should we try to control this process? 
And thinking about the change in our society, I mean, I'm completely sure that this moment is a very so vast, and that seems that we are really creating a new basis, a new society, or a new epistemology, as mm -hmm. Paul Persiano says. So, since we are here in a moment of huge transformation, not only about attention, but the whole so social transforming thing that's just happening. Uh, so it's both in the terms of technology and social abilities. Uh, what should we do as artists? Uh, social media is changing. I mean, I mean, then it's just obvious, like identities, policies are questioning our basic uncertainties. Uh, so yeah, basically that should we try to respond to it? And I would take the liberty to talk a bit about myself mm -hmm. because my artist process is very much linked to my intimate life. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I think they mix. That is why I'm, look, I'm going to look a bit on how I respond in my intimacy to this demand in order to try to understand how should we as artists try to, or I mean, at least how I as artist should try to, to respond to, mm -hmm. to those demands. And, and I think, I hope this will enlighten a bit something. <laughs> well, my relationship with social media specifically and social networks uh, has a contradiction movement. Uh, or at least what it's expected to be. A few years ago, I spent hours in Facebook. Mm. I mean, not all the, the social medias, but specifically Facebook, I thought it was a very networked place where we could discuss and understand a bit more about the world. So I would love to just be there and discussing and engage in, in the discussions. But just before the pandemic, I left not only Facebook, but all social media besides WhatsApp. In Brazil, WhatsApp is really huge and I mean, it's the only way people get connected, basically. Yeah, in India as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think the main reasons of my, my departure, I would say, it was ethical and aesthetical. I mean, in the sense that it was concerned about how social networks are changing and polarizing societies. But I think it's, it was not only that. Uh, I think it also was a desire to take a step back, to wait a bit. I want to look at the Richmond and things less attuned to the new trends, to the innovations, less concerned with the following developments. It, it's a bit strange because at the same time, it's probably the most moment that I'm more into the current political discussions that are happening. So obviously, choosing not to participate in a social network generates a loss of connection in, in a political sense. Uh, but even though I opted to step out, 
trying not to miss completely the other. Uh, so this is basically where I am. I am completely turned in interest in the political reflections that is happening now, but at the same time, trying to disconnect myself from the networks. And thinking about it here in this try in this text that I'm trying to, to read, uh, I have the feeling that despite one lose the other and one is connected to the other, influenced by the other, each one of them speaks different points of our present times. Each one of them, I mean, one is more about the production of thoughts, and the other one is more about the production of the modus operandi, like the way the modes, yeah, or mechanisms, yeah, exactly, of, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I want to step back and get the feeling that there is something, and doing so, I get the feeling there is something conservative on me. I have difficulties in being into fashion process. I mean, or rather, a desire not to be into fashion process. What do you mean by fashion process? Like trend, I mean, something trendy? Exactly. Yeah. Like trends, innovations, like being really into the new trends. Mm -hmm. uh, I rather prefer to wait a bit and understand how the trends are changing. Mm -hmm. And then, but at the same time, of course, we are all influenced by fashions and trends. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the clothes I wear, the, the wear, the hair, my thoughts, my beliefs, and how I identify myself, they are all modulated by the fashions and the new trends. Mm -hmm. But I expect somehow that this modulation happens a little bit more slowly. Uh, in doing so, I hope that I can be more critical to this process. Mm. So like staying a step behind the present almost. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think I want to be always like two waves back in the technology. Uh -huh. Like my cell phone is not the new one, but the iPhone 9. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, and last time I went to, to buy it and the difference was not that much in, in terms of money. Mm. But yet, for me, it's important because it doesn't make sense for me to have a new technology, I'm not going to use it uh, in the way the technology is able to, to bring me. So why should I try to, it was not clear, right? From, from, uh, in the sense that, uh, I mean, if you look at my cell phone, mm -hmm. the way I use it, I call, I take photos, not mm. much. I send, I use WhatsApp, mm. basically. And I use emails for sure. And that's basically what I do. Yeah. WhatsApp and emails and sometimes calling. Yeah. And my kids, they use a bit more. They use Netflix and things mm. like that. Oh, yeah. I use Spotify also. Yeah. But for sure that for those kind of things, the iPhone 9 is like much, much more advanced than they need. Yeah. I don't use filters. I don't use all the technology that the phones are able to provide to me. Yeah. So that's that's something that, that why should I have like the most 
new technology yeah. if I'm not going to be in the same capacity or in the same use of it. I mean, to put it simply, why should you have more than you need? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for trying <laughs> to explain myself. Uh, so, yeah. As I said, my artistic process is connected with my affective, political, and everyday process. So in that sense, I think I end up bringing my artistic process the same movement that I'm here calling a conservative one. Mm -hmm. I feel that I have less and less interest in new technology, artistically speaking, mm -hmm. and more and more interest in thinking about cinema in its strict sense. Thinking about cinema in its narrative and classic language with beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. Which is quite strange because if I think about myself when I was 16, mm -hmm. it was probably the opposite. I was really into the idea of thinking how we could uh, struggle against the classical language. Right. Mm -hmm. So thinking about cinema made specific, specifically for theater and mm. projection room, which okay. is basically what we were just saying about this feeling that the theater, although I agree with you that you may live each time you, you have, at the same time, theater produces yourself a feeling that you should stay. There's a social contract yeah, involved exactly, in a theater, exactly. right? I mean, you can leave, but you are signing up to a duration with a group of people. Exactly. And you would disturb the others if you got up and left. Yeah. 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 I kind of feel, and of course that's because I'm not in the new generation, but I kind of feel, I, I only live cinemas in festivals <laughs> and not in any other place. And only because I have another film that maybe will be better than this one. <laughs> maybe. When you have too many options. When I have too many options, yeah. or or if I'm too tired because of the festival, make those us, us to be yeah. really tired and exhausted. But yeah, last year I I was going back to move theaters. When I come, finally came back to move theaters after one year and something because of the pandemic, I went to watch this beautiful film called Drive My Car. Mm -hmm. And Have people here seen the film by Yusuke Hamaguchi, Drive My Car? So basically, I mean, the film has these strange things because it's 40 minutes of film and then the credits. I mean, the, the you don't say credits. Opening credits, the right? The opening credits, yeah, yeah. yes. Or the, you mean the title card? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the title just come like, I don't know how many, but it's really, really yeah. after a long moment of the film. Yes. And there is this feeling that there is a story and then the films change completely the story and goes up to another thing. And of course, the first story has a lot to do with the other. But during the first part, I wasn't into the film. Yeah. Uh, like the 20, 25 minutes of the film, I didn't got why was that film so nice. Mm. But after 25 minutes, I just got completely in love with the film, and the film made me like really amazed about it. And I think it's because this film has a brilliant ability of bringing you little by little. Mm. 
And I really don't know. I mean, the film was huge in the sense that it was much bigger than I'm sure the, the filmmaker had expected in a market sense. Right. It won an Oscar. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. It probably has also a f the, as an important feeling seeing it in television or in streaming than it was for me in seeing in cinema. But I saw it in cinema and that produced me something really spe specific. Uh, and when I left that day, it was clear to me uh, the power that that movie, I mean, the power that the, the movie theaters has. And it's exactly what I was just saying that because it forced my attention. Mm. It turns the light off, it shares the experience. I mean, everything that we just said. Mm. It's like and hypnosis, really. I mean, it's not really hypnosis, but it is giving up control <laughs> in a way. In yeah. my case, including, it takes out my kids out of the story. I mean, it's, it's been, it became since 10 years ago. I have two kids, one at 10 and one at six, and it became really difficult to see films mm. because they demand their demands. So, yeah. Uh, and thinking about that, I just presented my last film, Router 4, yeah. uh, to an streaming where we're giving to them like to check if they want to buy or mm. not. And as we said, the film is a public defender, etc. Uh, and throughout the process of making the film, I thought a lot about how to shot the sex scenes. And it was clear to me that I want to, to make a huge effort, try not to reproduce the sexist, patriarchal, Eurocentric, white tradition of shooting bodies, especially the body of a black woman. And Leobert Bittencourt, who is the, the cinematographer of the film, he says that we had tried to create an anti-pop, like uh, something against the pop. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that expression makes any no, sense. No, does yeah, yeah. anti-pop, yeah. And I think he has some reasons. But however, in the first scene, I intended to make a more pop scene, more, a more pop introduction. Mm -hmm. When she's, uh, when you see her like on the cam. And the performance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like a desktop scene. Exactly. Right. In that scene, I want to, to do work. I mean, the, there's a huge music and the monta the, the editing is, is faster and it's connected to the music. I mean, there's many elements in that scene that I intended to do it more, you know, in a more pop way. Not in the sense of, I mean, yet I, I intend to do like without tomorrow, but uh, but my idea was to create it some ex, 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 uh, some uh, exciting scene image mm -hmm. and to play a little bit more with our honey, honey, how do you say that? Like our desire. Mm -hmm. What I intend to create was this climax that I will would be during the whole film trying to to be an anticlimax of this first sequence. So you mean because the first se sequence is so sexual and exciting and pop, 
and then for the rest of the film you're sort of so you set up our expectations with that scene exactly and then you uh, basically deprive us exactly <laughs> that was exactly the idea yeah. uh and 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 the idea was not to be an intellectual feeling mm. but more like a sensation that the sensation of the 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 viewers become a little bit more bitter mm. Um, so, by, yeah, we present the film to the streaming, and the CEO, I mean, the reaction was exactly what we expected. The film generates this discomfort, uh, but the, the, the CEO answers that, that actually what we should do is that we should re-edit the rest of the film uh-huh. in order to to have the same experience of this first sequence. Mm. So basically, we sh- for him, what we should do was to bring this pop sensation to the whole film. Mm. And uh, because he said that basically the, f- the people would see the film and after 15 minutes, they would left mm. because that's a possibility that we have in the streaming. It's a bit more faster or less expensive because at least in the theater you pay the, the ticket, not in the festival but for us. But <laughs> um, and I think he's right. Actually, mm. I think uh, that he's right in an economical sense. People would will live more the film after the first fifteen film minutes because we set up a pop language. Because it's difficult to maintain attention mm. in a less pop language after we set up a pop language. Mm. I am not completely sure about this choice of having this first scene the film. But I think we should care about how we guided we are guided by the streams. And yeah. We are creating today for an audience that is mostly watching films on computers, cell phones, and while they are doing something else. But, uh, and of course, the language of the, the film is going to change because of it. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to be careful about how this technology is shaping us, both socially and, and artistically. And this speech of mine runs the risk of being just old. Being just what? Old. Mm. Like, like it, it was like an anti-technology thing or an anti-evolutionary speech. Mm. Maybe it is. But it seems to me that there is a difference between being critical of the impact of technology in our lives or, and being critical of the technology itself. Mm. I think there are brilliant and revolutionary things about today's technology, including in the audiovisual language. I mean, Mm. there is now an artificial intelligence that is capable of producing image itself with with just one mode. And that's just amazing. And I mean, the new color system for the projections will change completely in the, the next years. And we will immensely expand the colors spectrum that we see nowadays in cinemas. Mm. And that is amazing. Uh, 
but I'm sure, and I am completely sure that there are many artists interested in exploring new technology. And thanks to them, the new technology, the audiovisual language will evolu evaluate. Mm -hmm. But I feel that it's as important as the artists who explore the new technology are the ones who put themselves a step back mm. and who choose try not to respond so much with such a huge to the external demands. I rather now mm -hmm. stay in a 2K projection and work with a less sensitive cameras and post-production. Not for aesthetic reasons, because I think they are really incredible. They, they bring us an incredible ability of creating new, beautiful uh, images, but much more because the cinema I'm looking for is not just about aesthetic. Mm. It's more a critical look. It, and that, I think it takes time and thoughts. It demands to know how the technology with which one we are dealing mm -hmm. is. And this speech has another risk, which is the na navi na uh, to be naive. Mm -hmm. Naivete. Naivety. Naivety. <laughs> uh, because, of course, we are all ruled by old technology. Uh, I mean, if it not, we wouldn't be still in a patriarchal society because patriarchal society is basically the, like the oldest technology ever, right? Mm. But, and yeah, we are guided by society we are around us and how, no matter how critical we are to that society. Mm -hmm. As an artist called Jota Mombasa asks, how do I undo what they have turned me into? Mm -hmm. How does one dismantle the imperative of being? And I don't know. But I figure out my job in this progression is to wait a bit, is to wait and look for the ambiguities and the political possibilities of the trends in the technology. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, that was super rich and... Uh, raises so many questions we can we can dig into. I mean, I think to start us off, I would love to talk a little more about this idea that you've brought up throughout this text about wanting to stay a little bit behind the present. And I think the conversation before ours, uh, Giovanni, with Noah, um, I think they were talking about the relationship of attention to the present. Like to be attentive means to be present, to pay attention to the moment, right? But some, what we were talking about was also how attention requires a kind of contemplation. It requires putting in time. And there is something about being constantly in the present that is maybe even antithetical to deep thought. And I just love this idea that you've brought up that maybe we need to be a little bit behind what is current um, in order to really give something its due. And I, I wonder if we could talk about that a little bit. You know, um, while you were talking, I was also thinking of filmmaking, art making in the traditional sense are very time intensive 
experiences like making a film and how much how long did it take you to make rule 34 from inception to screening from inception eight years <laughs> but from the real work five okay uh, five years is a huge chunk of time so there's no i mean it's very hard i think for someone who makes a film puts in that much effort to be very current right i mean you're developing something over a long period of time a lot of artworks develop that way too and so um you know what does it mean to pay attention to something over a long period of time and how does that maybe t turn our attention away from the world around us which may be moving at a different pace or changing by the time i mean I think your film is like incredibly relevant uh, to right now, but it's possible that you started working on it. And I'm sure it happened that as you worked on it, certain, you know, the, there were developments in the world that maybe made George you look Floyd, at. George Floyd happened. Yeah. Like I was in the middle of the editing. The film was completely shot. Wow. Right. Yeah. And then now we, you know, there's obviously all sorts of assaults on women's rights all over the world. So, you know, how do you sort of balance these two forms of attention, one of which I think requires moving inward a little bit, and the other which requires being very open to the world? You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. I think we talked about or you said you were the words like contemplation. No, that's that's maybe the 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 step behind. And uh, um, I, I was curious about something that you say. That, um, um, you like to be two step back on, in the technologies, and uh, um, I'm wondering as a filmmaker, as a and as an artist. Um, why? Why do you? I mean, it's an aesthetical choice, obviously. But why do you do you um, don't allow yourself to to try the aesthetical potential of new technology? So, I mean, you know, if you will have like the new uh, iPhone, or whatever, uh, you have maybe a different camera lens that allows you to do other stuff, and. Um, is it, I mean, yeah, why? Is it, is it a political decision? Is it's it, uh, not political, aesthetic? but I think it's, and, if, and definitely think it's not aesthetical. Uh, maybe it's financial, because of course the new technologies are more expensive. Uh, but not, not only, I think it's more about not being completely uh defined by the technology in the sense that if i am like as a cinematographer they need to be really into the new technology because the te new the technology in cinema is changing completely 
But that makes them and us a bit too into the idea of just getting the new technology no matter what, without being critical and looking if, if the, need, the firm really need this technology. And I think for me, making a film, the kind of film that I want to make, the aesthetic is not something that I'm looking for. The aesthetic is something that is developed because of the film I'm doing. And it's, it's, de it's developed uh, to talk and to say a story and because of the work of the actors, it comes from the, the, the narrative. So I think my one, my, I'm a bit afraid of using this te the new technology and the new trends, and they become what we are looking for. Not necessarily, they, 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 we use them in order to, to just choose actually, I mean, what is the best? To, and of course, there are a lot of things about the new technology that I could be best for the film, but I just don't know it yet. They're like It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, the technology. I mean, it's creating the need that it exactly. fulfills. Exactly. But um, is that bad? Is that, I mean, that's true that's of any bad. tool, right? I don't know if it's bad. Like I, mean, if, I don't think it's bad itself. Right, but I think it it doesn't fulfill the the kind of films I want to do. I I think there are brilliant films that need to be into the trends. Mm. But the way I want to work with actors is like, and I'm using the actors because I think the uh, it talks a lot about the set. Mm. When I in the, in a set. Uh, for me, the most important thing is to create with the actors the, the feeling, the scene, mm -hmm. and then trying to figure out how to, to put the camera mm. for it. And not the opposite, not put the camera and try to, to, mm. to demand for the actors. Right. But even the way you storyboard a film is completely based on the possibilities of the camera, no? Of course. Right. Of course. That's why two steps back is not necessary. <laughs> I mean, it's still new technology. Right. We are still working with, at least, I mean, we are still working with a good camera, otherwise I wouldn't be able to present here. Uh, it's, it's really new technology. Right. But it's a technology from five years ago, but not the new one, no? Mm -hmm. That's... A bit different. Mm. I mean, I I also want to know, so when you say like that's not the kind of films I make, when you're, you know, um, I am curious, like, what do you perceive as the vocation of cinema? You know, what what does cinema represent to you? Uh, what mode of engaging with the world does it offer to you? At this point, mm. and that changed it. I mean, I wouldn't say the same 10 years ago. But at this point, to think about society. It's the way I am able to produce thoughts, basically. And I love, I mean, I feel completely alive in, in a set, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hate this releasing part, 
I just think it's ego. It's an ego trip really bad. But making a film is something that really makes me alive. So probably just because of that, that I do films. But I use the films in order to think about society, at least nowadays. And so I, I was really fascinated by what you said about your opening scene and the expectation that it sets up and, you know, the relationship with the streaming service, which is so unfortunate. I'm sorry it was so predictable. But I'm, um, you know, the film explores so many interesting questions about the realm of sexuality, especially how sexual desire actually exceeds our cognitive capacity. So the case of your character, there are things that she doesn't think she wants and then she discovers she does. Or things that she shouldn't want, you know, according to her ethical, moral worldview, her education, but she ends up wanting. And um, I, I'd love to know a little bit about how you perceive the use and representation of sex and sexuality in cinema because when we talk about attention you know sex is something that is very easily attracts attention you know it it quickly overwhelms the viewer you know it is a way to you know you quickly submit to it so and then what you're doing is with that opening scene is you're drawing us in it's hot and you know it's it's sexual and then you cut to these scenes of discourse People talking about the law, people talking, you know, having these legal juridical debates. So I'm curious how sex kind of fits into the play of attention in the film. Can I ask you the same question <laughs> as a viewer? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very interesting because you are uh, engaging us on multiple levels. You know, you're, the actress is beautiful. It's it's great to look at her, you know, and when she's performing. And you're really engaging with the film on a very primal, elemental level, you know. And that's part of what is cinema and art in general is about. Actually, when, you know, now we think of the classical language of cinema as narrative and all of that. But if you think about really the origins of cinema, uh, you know, what was called the cinema of attractions, it wasn't narrative. Right. It was like you were marveling at film technology and a lot of it was like risque, like the peep show. You know, it was very connected to sex and very connected to um, watching what is, you know, improper, you know. And so it engages you on that level, but then it opens it up into cinema as a mode of dialogue. And so I found and, and also the way you shoot the classroom scenes, there's a they're very direct you know, it's not overly stylized or anything. It's very simple, your shooting style in those scenes. So there's a, quite an interesting um, play between two, you know, you're being asked to kind of think with your body and your mind, which then reflects, I think, the predicament of the character who finds those things in conflict a little bit, right? Because she has this desire for situations that intellectually she knows are, are like wrong or are transgressive. So that was my experience. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's exactly, I mean, that's not necessarily exactly, but that's what we're looking for. Uh, and that's why I play with this first scene. Mm. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to add. <laughs> um, I don't know, Giovanni, did you have any... No, I think I need to go and see the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
well, if, if it's very difficult to talk about. I mean, there there seems to be like all topics which are important and interesting, and uh, I hope I can see the film today. And um, um, but I was thinking again about the idea of of attention and uh, and this. Um, I mean, you you brought uh, uh, up the, the topic of distribution and uh, and the fact uh, of the streaming company that asks you to to re-edit the film in order to get attention and and the you know the cinematographic experience going to a cinema deciding to go out staying in uh, um, I don't know um, I think it's it's a very different. Um, Obvious context that the, the, the film festival as an art exhibition, which are maybe more familiar to, mm. and uh, um, but I, I like I like to know more. How do you deal now as a uh, as a filmmaker um, with, with these distribution um, companies and so on? What what uh, what what are you? I mean, because this is also technology, no? And uh, uh, how can you escape this kind of uh, uh, systems and so on? And uh, uh, just to go back to, to the idea of the uh, the older cameras or so on, I think what, what we have also, it's the possibility to use new technology and to, to hack it somehow, to use it in a way which is not taught to be made for you know i don't know if you can cook a coffee on on your mobile phone if it's getting too hot or whatever you know um how do you do do you think can you escape as a filmmaker the 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 technology of distribution or do, how do you do want to reach the right audience what was the, the word that you use uh hank no uh hacking um I kind of don't believe we are able to do it. I mean, of course, there is lots of possibilities. And I mean, two days ago, I was here and there's this group. What is the name of the group that works with games? Total Refusal. Total Refusal. Uh -huh. And it was so incredible seeing them like working with games and in a critical way. And... I mean, they were looking at the NPCRs and like thinking about capitalism. And it was really beautiful to see they trying to hack the system. But at the same time, I mean, we are here uh, in a festival that is organized, there is funds, there is, there is a pressure of the market. Uh, I'm probably here for different reasons, probably people had liked the film, but also because my older films got attention. Uh, I wouldn't probably be here if my first film wasn't, hadn't the same future and the same path it had. Uh, so I, I kind of think that no matter what we do, it is the system who defines us. Uh, and we need to, to deal with it. I like the Preciado's way of thinking, which is more like, uh, 
é, é, manifesto contrasexual, which is a contrasexual manifest, uh -huh. uh, and he kind of says that it's less about trying to fight against the technology and the new trends, but it's more about using it to produce something that is maybe new, but actually it's important to you. So basically, I mean, there is one path in, in the book. He says that, okay, so my sexuality is defined by society. So let me try to, to define a new sexuality in my body. So he start trying to masturbate himself like while he's like, uh, uh, yes, doing something with his hair in order to try to make his body to understand that the hair can have also a sexual ability. So I know in, the, in that sense, I think, yes, we are maybe able to use our technology in, in the whole sense, I mean, our bodies, our lives, our society, in order to create and to produce different things. But yet, we are dealing with the demands of the market. We are dealing with the capitalism. We are dealing with the pressure. Uh, so no, I, I don't. I don't think I'm able of escaping and hacking the system of the distribution. And I really don't know if I pursued doing those kind of films I'm doing now. How my my future will be if I will be able to actually be seen. Right. But yet yeah. those are the films I want to do right now, so I don't know. I don't know how to to manage this account. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it really does remind me of the theme in your film about being a public defender. Uh, you know, being an instrument of the state that is actually works against the state, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's very much this idea of a system that, so you can look at it two ways, right? You can look at it in one way as a system that creates its own critique, a system that produces its own critique, or a system that creates a rupture within itself. I think those are two different ways of looking at it. Um, and, you know, something that people argue a lot nowadays is that, um, you know, in, in this capitalist kind of uh, system, critique becomes part of the self-perpetuation of every system. Now, you see this with institutions that, for example, will hold panel discussions about diversity, right? Uh, and these are often institutions that lack diversity, so they'll hold these panel discussions. But then that becomes part of their own performance, you know, it, and it becomes as a yeah, and it becomes a substitute in a sense for structural change because it just reinforces the um, reinforces the legitimacy of the institution. It's a way for them to say we're doing the work, right? And so they're absorbing their own critique. But then, if you look at things in a very totalized way. That is also then giving into capitalism, right? If you look at things in a way where you're like, there's nothing we can do. Everything is consumed by capitalism. There is nothing outside of capitalism. There's no means of resistance that isn't immediately absorbed by the system. Then you're kind of giving into a cynicism that precludes any possibility of resistance. So how do you, 
I don't know. How do you negotiate these two poles? You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, do you? <laughs> I want answers. <laughs> Not for me. I'm going to do a master in two weeks. Uh, a master? Is it a master class or? Yeah. Oh, okay. In NYU. Uh, about performances, and I hope that maybe in like one year I can have a little bit more. I can come here <laughs> with some more questions, yeah. answers, but probably more questions than answers. Yeah. Uh, no, I really, I, I really don't know what, how we should deal with this contradiction. Uh, there is something that I like about the queer theory is that basically, I mean, there's a. It's the discussion itself that once the queer theory was set up, mm. it did it lost this, uh, the queer sense of it. When it became institutional, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And basically, the whole idea of the queer theory was to question the institu institution. So basically, yeah. it's just impossible to actually even question it because once it's set up. Mm. But at the same time, it made lots of importances, right? right. And it was quite important, and it is still right. quite important. Yeah. So of course we need to, to to be critical and question. But at the same time, knowing that we will be used by the market and by the system in yeah. order to to be consumed by it. Yeah. Now, maybe I, I have a question. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> now, since we are talking also about time and uh, time that needs to make projects, do you know already what are your next project? What What's the, since you get interested into, you know, social relevant topics for your work? And I don't know if I will have the courage to do it, but the idea is to do an autobiographical musical. But yeah, I, I really don't know if I will have the courage to actually expose myself that so will much. You, will you be also in, in the film itself as a... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the idea. And it will be a focus on race and gender. But it will... The idea is to use my, my experience, my life, in order to portray, portray like a, a Latin American white person that of of course it was mostly portrayed in Latin America but at the same time not necessarily looking into the contradictions of this left wing Latin American that is not necessarily it's it's seen by some back back movements as European and of course we have lots of European tradition. I mean, my name is Julia Murat, who is, comes from France. Uh, my grandmother used to speak with my, my, my grand-grandmother used to speak with my mother only in French. And she was completely Brazilian, just because she thought it was more elite. So of course we have a lot, I mean, my father, lived in France because of the dictatorship and there was a lot of people who left Brazil. So there is this huge group of people in the dictatorship 
that was living in France and came back and basically became like my aunts in the sense that they are basically the friends of my, my parents that are really important to me and I lived my whole life with them. So of course there's a lot of European on me, but at the same time, I, when I was five years old, I was in a samba uh, music and in, in Carnaval in Rio. And I was trying to samba, I was trying to dance. I was five. I was completely unable to do it. And the boyfriend of my mom looked at me and said, oh, from uh, when this, this German woman arrived? And I got really pissed off. And I decided that I would learn samba. And I did. And samba is like, now this is one of the most important things in my life. I mean, uh, when it plays, it touched me in a way that nothing else does. Uh, the woman uh, who, used to, who raised me with my mother, uh, Luzanetti, she was from Candomblé, which is a religion in Brazil. Uh, and I used to go with her and do like more, many different things in Candomblé. Uh, once we killed a chicken in order to use the, the blood. Many different images that I have, and although I'm completely skeptical, I have this Candomblé feeling in my, my life because of my history. So I'm really a mix in between like this European elite, the pressure, white person in Brazil, and at the same time, someone who really is into a very black culture that comes from this contradiction. So the idea was to actually look at this complexity, but in a musical sense, so I've not been not you sure. Should, you should do the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really don't know if I will have the courage and if I will manage to mix musical. I kind of think that musical is a nice thing to to it's a nice language to 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 observe those kind of contradictions. Since samba will play a role in the film. Yeah, for sure. But that could be it, they could be play it without being a musical, right? Uh, but I think that the musical is nice in not just because it it makes you flow with the whole thing without completely intellect intellectualizing the whole thing, but at the same time there is something that comes from it. And then there is a film that I love. That is an autobiographical film by Bob Feist, uh, All That Jazz. And it's a really film that I, I mean, that's what I'm looking for. I'm really, you know, excited to continue this discussion with our next guest, who's Hito Styral, especially about optimism, you know, optimism and pessimism and uh, the role of desire, because something I find. Interesting about the film and more broadly is um, also how it 
demonstrates the ways in which, in something maybe we haven't talked about as much as um, new media and these uh, the attention economy and its relationship to sex work. You know, it there is like a, a a whole world of the internet that has given sex workers a lot more autonomy. You know, means of uh, income, but it but then there are the same questions that we've posed when it, when we were talking about like hosting art online. But then who owns you know, who owns those platforms and then what is their relationship with the performance, with the attention, or in this case, the desire, the bodies, you know. Um, and I thought that was that was quite fascinating as well. And I'm curious if you did any research into like cam sites and talk to people like cam girls and what, what sort of insights you got from that. Yeah, one of the things about cinema that is that I like most huh. is the fact that you get into a universe, then you have to research a lot. So you discover a lot of new universe because of the process of making films. So basically in this film, I, I researched three different universes, which are uh, the public defense, that I knew nothing, yeah. uh, the BDSM, the, the, the violence and sex, and the use of violence and sex, and spe especially the consensuality involved, uh, and then the sex online performances, mm. which is also another thing. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I started making the film thinking about pornography and trying to think about, like, when you ask when it started, like, eight years ago. Uh -huh. Eight years ago, my motivation was to look at pornography and mm. to understand a little bit better the universe of pornography, that it was something that I didn't understand at all. It didn't connect it to me. And I was thought it was strange because I'm not necessarily a moral person. So mm. why didn't it connect to me if it was something that it should? Mm. So I start looking for it. Uh, and then I saw this girl who's an actress, Sasha Gray. She was uh, doing an interview and she said, I mean, it was it was an old interview, but she said in this interview that for her pornography was dealing with risk. So from this point on, the film changed and it was not only about pornography, it was not focused on pornography, it was actually focused on the risk. But yet... Uh, Pornography has place its uh, its part of on the film, and not necessarily. I mean, she deals with the whole system, but I think what was I was more interested on was uh, I'm getting a bit loose, but what was look interesting on uh, was how it defines your sexual desire. And there's something more about that, right? Because there is a huge discussion in feminist theories mm. saying that the pornography is defining our youth desires in a very bad way. And I think it's a bit boring, this discussion. But at the same time, it's also a little bit true. Mm. I mean, it's also true that, yes, we are defined by what we see. Right. And if you see lots of pornographies, we will deal with our sex in a way 
more closer. But at the, the same shapes are fantasies. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, fantasies are not our intimacies. Mm. Fantasies are meant to be something that you're not able to acquire. Mm. So it doesn't really, I mean, it, cha- it shapes your fantasy, but not necessarily the way we, we deal with people. Mm. But at least it cannot necessarily mm. shape it. So I don't know. I, 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 what interests me more in this whole uh, sex online in the film was this discussion about shaping and if she was doing that because she was shaped about it by the society or if right. she was doing that because she really needed she wanted it she really wanted if that is this yeah. possibility of wanting something i mean i think that gets to the core not just of sexual desire but desire in general and especially in a capitalist world do we organically want things or do we want things that we are told we want and you know what is the relationship between those things because again it comes back to this idea there's a way of looking at things where you say that desire is manufactured you know we want things that we grew up seeing on the screen but that is a very um that's that's a view of individuality and of of being the human that is extremely uh impressionable and sort of evacuates a certain level of agency i think from the way we live our lives and do you believe in the agencies i don't know but i like to think of desire as something that isn't quite as simple as just responding to a provocation. I I mean I don't think desire is as simple as being shown an image and then wanting it. I think that it does actually exceed us. You know, it's it's it exceeds us, I think, uh in the sense that often its sources are unknown and that's what makes it so powerful and mysterious that we can sometimes want things that we don't think we want or there's a part of us that doesn't want it but then a part of us still wants it and i don't that's what i like to think but i don't know <laughs> you know yeah i like to think also but i i kind of don't believe <laughs> but i would love to <laughs> i hope we have agencies in our lives more than i kind of believe we have Yeah, I pretty much agree, but I mean, if you talk about desire, um, you have to also talk about frustration somehow, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, it's good to have desires, it's, it's good to have frustration that, you know, I think, motivates you to, to change stuff or to reach stuff that you don't have, you don't know. I mean, but yeah, of course, there's, there is a desire economy that I mean, we are surrounded by that. And, I mean, you have kids. I, I have also a kid, and I know the bomb- bombing of on kids about consumption, and mm. it's really, it's really crazy. How much? Uh, how do you build? Where that? are you from? Switzerland. Yeah. And yet, so. and because I was hoping that in Switzerland, people would be a little bit less consumption than I mean. Are you kidding? You know how much <laughs> you know how much money they have to spend here. <laughs> We are in in the center of the 
evil Switzerland. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe. But, you know, Giovanni, I think like there's a way to also broaden this question of desire, you know, to, to art, to curation. There's always this question of, is as a curator, are you giving people what they want? Or are you creating, are you cultivating their wants, right? So there is a certain, like, filmmakers or certain section of the art world that would argue when we when we talk about why certain films become popular which are like morally cheap or or not or even maybe formally not challenging and people always say well this is what sells this is what the majority of people want and that's why these movies are made and then there is obviously another faction that would say actually people don't know what they want and if you give them something more challenging they might what that they might want that. So is this something you think about, especially, you know, we were talking about audience earlier. Um, you know, this this difference between, um, yeah, uh, fulfilling an idea, a, a premeditated idea of an audience versus cultivating an audience. There is obviously both. I, I think we, we try, or I try, cultural workers try, in general, to uh, give to people what they think it could be interesting. Um, and then, I mean, there are people thinking more commercially and people which think the most interesting stuff, it's whatever, monochrome uh, and mm -hmm. silence. So <laughs> um, you cannot really... You, you can try to motivate why why you're showing something, why you're shooting a, f a film and uh, and to convince people and communication around the project is important i mean i know the the pain of uh, i can imagine uh, uh, to be in, in a festival you have premiering and and uh, all the attention is on you and uh, and and you i mean there are people that enjoy that and the other people that don't like that you seems to be this kind of person but it's i think it's also important to give visibility to your film that you are here and then you you talk about your film and uh, um that's also part of of uh of our work to communicate around the project we do and um yeah. but but i i'm I, I will add you uh how much you, in your work, uh, use the possibility of creating an exposition or, or, uh, in order to not necessarily respond what you think they will like, and actually in order to create new image for the, the viewers? Well, it, it's, it's a complex answer i mean or question because there are several level of of works uh, or, or several level in the work I, i'm doing uh, obviously working mainly with contemporary living artists i mean i'm interested into looking for the new what's the new language what's the new uh, um, what are it, it's a kind of old a little bit of old school idea of avant-garde also you know like you try to to be at the top of your time if a step ahead of the present <laughs> yeah we are in the the different positions 
No, I mean, I think you're doing the same, you know, with your film, with the content of your film. It doesn't matter the, the I mean, you can use a, a, a pencil and a piece of paper and be at the top of your time, you know. It's mm. no no uh, technology, mm. nearly zero technology. And uh, um, so I, I think, I mean, it's it's uh, it changes also. Like I I really work with artists because uh, I think they you know improve my capacity to understand the world we are living in, and uh, and I like to help uh, artists to realize a project and to to fund their project uh, to give their pro I mean a public to their project. That's but I think it's really important. Um, that's the difference between also. I mean, it's it's like a very risky thing, you know, mm. to go with your idea in the public space and and. Uh, so I will rephrase. Uh, how do you think uh, the market shapes your your work? I mean, how much the market shapes the way you uh, pursue your work? Yeah. I mean, if, if I can chime in, like, from the point of view of the critic, um, you know, and the critic and curator sort of are related jobs with slightly different, obviously, priorities. But I like to think of the work as a critic as also curatorial, in a way, which is, like, choosing what to really put forward um, to an audience, you know. And um, I think about this a lot. So in terms of my relationship to my readership or my audience, I think of my job as... Um, really making a case for why I think they should be interested in something, you know? So if it's something they people haven't seen before or something that isn't popular, making as persuasive a case as possible for why it deserves their attention, you know, even if it's something very niche. But part of the reality in response to what you just asked about the market shaping, you know, our work is what I see and the things I choose from, like I choose what I like from, is made available to beat me by a system that I don't fully control, you know? So I end up seeing work at festivals, but what films make it to festivals? There is a role played by the market. There is a role played, I mean, geopolitical, uh, geopolitical factors play a role in that. You know, there's obviously some parts of the world where filmmakers have it it's much easier for filmmakers to make it to global platforms than other parts of the world. You need connections, you need a certain kind of infrastructure. So, um, you know, I'm very aware of this, you know, that I have this uh, ideal or illusion of discovery as a critic or curator. You always want to discover something new, something interesting, something challenging, challenging that you can then bring to your audience and make a case for why this is an important artwork today and everyone should be paying attention to it. But there's always that fear and question of, am I only seeing, you know, what is available within a pretty bounded system and what, what like, great masterpieces, like, don't come my way? I mean, even at Locarno, I can only see a percentage of the films, you know, in the time that I have. And a lot of my choices are guided by the filmmakers I already know, or the filmmakers other people are talking about, or a curator here gives me a recommendation. And I try to make time to go in blind, but you know, these you are aware of being basically constantly bounded. 
Yeah, and the market plays a role, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I said before that it's multi-layered because obviously the market plays a role of what what I can go and see, and uh, it's the same, you know, like. Uh, but I also, I think I also can shape the market on a certain level. I work with very young artists sometimes mm. that just came out of school that I I choose them because. I, I think the work is relevant and also because I think we can help them to develop their work. And uh, uh, and some of these people made a, a market career afterwards. Um, and I think it plays a role that they had a show with us in the Kunsthalle and so on. I mean, I'm con- I think it's important to be conscious of, of your role and... Uh, uh, what you are dealing i i'm working for art basel which is like the biggest uh, art fair in the world la 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 likes to be the um, i mean whatever it's not important but it's like it's the core of the the, the contemporary art market mm. and there i can i do a certain project and and with the choices i do for this project i can put some some uh, some topics in the center and uh, yeah that's that's what i can do if you're conscious of, of your role you can try to to move things a little bit around but they're like it's a process it's not like uh, you not decide everything by <laughs> by yourself well uh, our next guest is here so hito are you ready no <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode from the Future of Attention at the Locarno Film Festival, featuring a very exciting guest, the artist Hito Styro. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.